Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I am your host, Roy Turner, as always. Got a very, very special episode for you this week. Um, what we're going to be doing is, is celebrating the 30th anniversary of the summer of 1987. Uh, you remember 1987, especially if you were a kid, if you were 12 going into 13 like I was. That time of Huffy Sigma bicycles. Uh, and baseball card collecting and garbage pell kids and uh, if you can remember uh, listening to Tiffany's I think we're alone now and uh, and requesting Beastie Boys uh, fight for your right to party by calling your local radio station this is the episode for you we had a great special guest uh, <clears throat> Susan Lugerish uh, from Tops a trading company she's the uh, the marketing manager and the social media expert over there and she was so kind to, to speak with us because, again, if you remember that time, uh, especially for me, male or female, uh, if you were a sports fan or just enjoyed collecting cards in general, uh, nothing really stands out or speaks to you if you come from that, that time, like the 1987 uh, Topps baseball trading set, the really cool one with the wood paneling and all that. Uh, so much so that uh, this year's Topps... Uh, uh, 2017 uh, was uh, behooved, of course, to uh, acknowledge that, uh, and they haven't done that for any of their other, other sets in recent time, just to illustrate just what a perfect uh, storm that was and what a great time it was to be a young person. And so this is actually going to be a very, very personal episode for me. Uh, it's something I've been wanting to, to, to do for a while because it's, you know, I'm not living in the past. Uh, but we all feel nostalgic, but uh, it seems like as an adult, the things that occurred to me the most, I have my different, you know, uh, you know, times as a young person that I enjoy the most or have the most uh, fond memories of. Um, around 1982 was also is something that's very, very near and dear to my heart. You know, the first year I got my Atari and all those things, but there's just something about that going from, you know, 12 to 13, and what was happening around me uh, at any age uh, just seemed like it was a really, really special time. They said that uh, kind of that mid to late 1980s, there was a lot of great stuff going on. And then for me personally, it was a, it was an incredibly transformative time, as it is for most people, you know, going from 12 to 13. But it was also, you know, my family had moved around quite a bit. And something not only transformative, but obviously life-changing happened uh, that summer that I want to get into is um, about uh, we actually moved from Arkansas to Texas. So you're actually going to get to learn a little bit about me. I don't normally share a lot of personal stuff, but this is going to be a very, very personal episode. We're going to play some great music. Uh, I encourage y'all that are listening, uh, tweet at us at Tricky Kid in the number two. Tell us your favorite memories uh, from the summer of 1987. Things that you remember, movies that you remember, things that stick with you, the Saturday morning cartoons. I'm even going to go through a whole list of uh, of all that. We're going to try to cover as much as we can here. And and again, I'm very excited for you to hear uh, the, my interview with uh, with Susan uh, from the Topps Trading Company, talking you know baseball, garbage pail, the whole bit, man. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right on into this. Uh, one of the things uh, that I wanted, uh, to mention, uh, you know, straight away there, like, like I said, was that, you know, in 1987, I did that thing where I was going from sixth grade to seventh grade. Um, 
that's scary enough because uh, you know this is in Arkansas in a, in the Little Rock outside the Little Rock area, and you uh, going from sixth grade to seventh grade meant you were going from elementary school uh, to junior high, which is scary enough. But again, my you know we were you know my family and I were uh, you know kind of experiencing some some uh, some some changes and which caused us to move around quite a bit. So not only did I have to start seventh grade which is scary enough, but I didn't have my friends from the sixth grade there as support. So because we had moved over the summer uh, in 1986, and so I had started uh, school at a place called Northwood Junior High. So this is, gonna, this is kind of the precursor to the summer of 87. So we had moved to uh, Jacksonville, Arkansas, which is way like out in the middle of nowhere, uh, especially at least where we were. I had to take a bus to school for the first time and, uh, you know, and starting junior high. So this was a very, you know, very, uh, you know, challenging, frightening period. But I got to tell you right now, it was my, to this day, uh, you know, I have great memories of and lots of great friends and stuff, but I really think it was my favorite year at school. It was the only year that I went there because, uh, you know, the next school year going into the eighth grade, at the end of the summer of 87, we moved to Texas. So and we'll end the episode with a little tale about that a little bit later. So so picture that. It's again, it's September of 1986. Uh, I'm moving to a whole new town, starting a whole new school, which is where I'm in the seventh grade. Uh, but it was a brand new school that year, um, and I think I think we were the first ones to go there. Again, it was Northwood Junior High. If you happened to go to Northwood Junior High in 1987 in Jacksonville, Arkansas, I would love to hear from you. Uh, you can tweet at me again at Tricky Kid in the number two, or obviously you can email me directly at Roy at Tricky hyphen Kid dot com. That's Tricky with little hyphens and then K I D dot com. Anyway, uh, but that's important because it really shaped everything that was to come. Uh, meaning that uh, instead of it being this horrible, scary experience, it was amazing. Uh, I, I, I've never felt before or since uh, really uh, it, was, it was its own lane. It was a very unique, a unique thing there. Uh, to be more uh, specific, I think the reason why was because you would think it'd be a drag. I mean, we lived out in the trailer and, and um, you know, had to take a bus to school. And But I remember uh, my friend Michael Bonds, uh, shout out to him if you're out there. Uh, I remember uh, it was just this, this feeling of just potential. I had this really neat thing happen where I had English in first, first period, and we had this really cool uh, teacher, I forget his name, but he thought I was a great writer and he's actually the first person to encourage me to go on, um, to be a writer. And so, uh, if you happen to be listening, uh, sir, I forget your name, but, uh, uh, you were very influential to me and, uh, look what, what I'm doing today. So thank you. Um, then I did this thing where I had PE, uh, and then athletics. So I would go to the gym for the second and third period and people starting the third period could never figure out how I got there so fast. They didn't because I, I would never tell them that I was already there from the previous period. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. So, but what it, what it brings us to is that Christmas. I, 
I got the bike. Now, again, my family did not have a lot of money, like at all. Um, but my mom always made sure I had what I needed, and even she would do some things I look back now and can't believe uh, the sacrifices that she uh, had to make and uh, in order to get them for me. Uh, I was never a spoiled kid. I never acted spoiled. Um, you know, I was very keenly aware and very appreciative of everything that I got. So it was unthinkable that that Christmas uh, that I got the Huffy Sigma bicycle. You remember the Huffy Sigma. Remember, it's the white bike uh, with the white uh, hubcaps. I mean, you never seen a you never seen a, a bicycle with hubcaps. It looked like a spaceship, but it was the coolest. And for a guy that had Charlie Brown syndrome his entire life, like I think that might have been the only time I've ever actually felt cool. But uh, it was it was like the moon landing for me to uh, you know. Now I had the ship to get there, right? Um, I wanted to to think that if um, that potentially, yeah, I wasn't sure if there actually was a uh, commercial for the Huffy Sigma. I don't remember actually remember seeing one. So I was going to try to play you one. And we actually reached out to the uh, the Huffy uh, Bicycle uh, Company for comment. Uh, I didn't hear back from them, uh, but maybe, hopefully, uh, they, they can join us at another time. But again, we do have um, Susan from Tops coming up, uh, which is which is awesome. But so, again, if you have memories of your Huffy Sigmund riding around town uh, and just feeling great in December of 1987, I would love to hear your stories. Uh, and share them with us here. Uh, so anyway, so what that that brings us to another precursor here, because I remember uh, that. So so I had that bike again. Like I said so now we're we're now we're we're starting 1987. Uh, and I remember going into that spring, uh, something pretty significant happened. I, I formed uh, a really great friendship with a guy named Danny McGee. Him and his sister uh, lived just a few uh, a few doors down from us, and Danny was, I believe, a year younger than I was because because we didn't go to school together because he was in sixth grade and I was in seventh. And but I think him, him, him my his sister went, uh, her and I went to school together. And uh, anyway, and so what happened was was that he and I became really great friends and. And, you know, I was already a, uh, a huge wrestling fan at that time. But really, if anybody remembers wrestling or wrestling fan, even if you were a fan for a brief time, I think the real peak, especially for the golden era of wrestling, had to have been in 1987 with WrestleMania three. It actually even set uh, a world indoor uh, attendance record at that time. Uh, of over 93,000 people at the Pontiac Silverdome there in, in Michigan, which was significant because Danny was from uh, the Michigan Detroit area. So there was a, I remember there was a lot of pride there, and that uh, you know him him being he was one of those guys who always talked about Detroit, and he was a big Detroit Tigers fan, and um, and that sort of thing. And so pay-per-view was like a literally a brand new thing. I mean, there was a thing called, if you could imagine, a thing called closed circuit television where people actually would go to theaters uh, or even you know, before you would go to your local sports bar and, and watch the fight, you actually would go to arenas to watch television. Uh, and so this was also marked really the beginning, and it was uh, of, of pay-per-view. 
And again, it was you know, the main event was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. The irreversible uh, force meets the immovable object. And that is a memory that, and something that I still talk about weekly. As you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a massive wrestling fan. Uh, I am now uh, a pro wrestling commentator for IHWE uh, here in the Fort Worth, Texas area. And uh, in that memory of 1987's WrestleMania III, actually technically in spring, uh, there in the first week of April, proud to say that even though I couldn't be there at the time, I actually was there when WWE actually did break that indoor attendance record when WrestleMania came to Dallas um, last year uh, with WrestleMania 32. Uh, and thanks to the fine folks at Cricket Wireless uh, for having me uh, as their guest. Uh, me and my, my nephew, uh, Jake, there for that. But uh, but the important thing is is that it's one of those memories that, that not only lived, it lives. We still talk about that. And while I'm on the subject, I wanted to mention <clears throat> that we lost somebody a couple weeks ago that not only is crucial to that memory, just as much as Hulk Hogan and, and Andre the Giant, because he was kind of the facilitator and kind of the voice of it, uh, is Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, Bobby the Brain is, is why I am a pro wrestling commentator. I know that sounds cliche and people always say, you know, about their heroes, or whatever, but literally it's... His wit and his brilliance and his comedic timing and just his fearlessness. I've always wanted to find a way to be a part of wrestling. Uh, I didn't have the physical acumen um, or the training, but when the opportunity came up to be a part of it by using what my gift is, which is my, my gift of voice and my gift of gab, uh, the very first person, of course, uh, that I channel, uh, I have my own ideas, my own art and magic to share, but, but man, what breathes, you know, life into that is the influence of, uh, of Bobby the Brain Heenan. Anybody that was a fan of the time, of course, remembers this, because it was the idea, because Andre was a good guy, and then suddenly, um, Hulk Hogan is on, on my all-time favorite wrestler's show at the time, Rowdy Roddy Piper with Piper's Pit, and he, um, was Hulk Hogan was on there, and then suddenly here comes Andre with Bobby the Brain Heenan. He's like, you know, what are you doing hanging out with him? Uh, so I want to I want to try to find a segment to play that for you, uh, where they challenge him. And man, it's still uh, easily my favorite Bobby the Brain moment is uh, from 1992. But I, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play this for you here. This is from this is the lead up to. Uh, WrestleMania 3 with uh, Bobby the Brain when he, with Andre challenging Hulk Hogan for the title. Man, you're the one that took me all the way from nothing to the world's title. Andre, you can't be with him, man. No, no, wait one minute. You're the one that taught me, man, about respect for the fans, about helping the kids. You're the one that taught me about good sportsmanship. You set the, the mold for me to follow, man. What are you doing here with him? I'll tell you what he's doing here with me. He's sick and tired of you and what you stand for. Let me tell you something, Hogan. You're the one that for three years as world champion used this man. You're also the vermin that made this man 
I can't tell you what I think about it. You used him, they gave him a trophy. But no, that wasn't good enough. It was a littler trophy than yours. But you had to walk out and steal that moment. You're so jealous of this man, you can't stand it. He, oh, this is the man for 15 years that is undefeated. But did you ever once? No, man, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong. When I won the world title, he poured champagne over my head. It was like a bond of friendship. You're wrong, Ian. Did you ever once, once in your life, offer him a championship match? You laughed behind his back. No, Andre, listen, it's not happening. Tell me it's not so, man. Even though you came out here with him, you don't have to leave with him. It's not happening. Thank you, Ansel, my shoulders. He's got one more thing to say to you, Hogan. Look at me when I'm talking to you. I'm there for one reason. To challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Andre, please, no. It's not happening, man. We're friends. We're friends, Andre, please. You can't believe it? Maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. Andre, what are you doing, man? You can't leave like this, man. What are you doing, Andre? You can't cross the shirt. What's wrong with him, man? You can't leave like this. You're bleeding. It's not out. Andre, come back, man. You don't have to leave like this. What no, is he no, doing? No. You're bleeding. Jesus. What's... Come, come. Come on. Much love and respect uh, to the genius of Bobby, the brain Heenan. There will never be another man. Again, I'm not big on cliches, but uh, just the, the power. He was everything that made wrestling fun. Why you wanted to be a fan. He could talk. He was funny. He was genuine. Him and uh, Gorilla Monsoon had the absolute hands-down best, uh, you know, play-by-play, -play, you know, color commentary team ever. Uh, shout out also to Jesse the Body Ventura, who was also a part of that uh, of that clip as well. Great memories, but he was everything that was fun about wrestling and why I was a fan then and why I'm a fan now. So uh, again, our uh, much condolences to the to the Heenan family, and like I said, I love you, Bobby. Uh, such a, a, an amazing influence and power, and the memories that I have, uh, not just from the summer of '87, uh, but just as a just as a fan, as a young person, um, and I have you to thank so much for uh, for the influence. So again, much love and respect to uh, to Bobby the Brain Heenan. So coming up again, we have uh, we have Susan from 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 uh, the Tops Company. I can't wait for you to hear what our discussion. I uh, want to talk a little bit uh, about our proud sponsors that keep this show rocking. Uh, and what, so what we're going to do is is it uh, released before we get to that? Just released just a week after. Uh, WrestleMania 3 was a, a movie that I must have watched a hundred times during the summer of 1987 and still one of my all-time favorites. Uh, don't, don't you guys miss Michael J. Fox? Don't you miss Michael J.? And, and, you know, obviously he got older and obviously he's had some, some major health issues with battling Parkinson's, and which is, you know, he's been such a, a brave person with that fight. But it's kind of like how I miss Eddie Murphy. Two is kind of being like that top box office drop. And you remember the movie The Secret of My Success? And it, was, it had a great soundtrack that is so 80s. It is so shamelessly 80s. 
uh, and the title track was by Night Ranger. Um, so uh, I mean, I love this movie. I still I haven't seen it in a while, but it's still a movie that I watch from time to time when I'm really missing that period. But it really shaped for me the summer of 1987. Uh, and so this is Night Ranger with the title track, and then we'll be coming right back with a, a word from our sponsors and uh, much much more to come. Save me! 
love it, love it, love it. Hey, you can call me a dork, but there are a few songs that make me feel uh, instantly in a good mood and feel good and remember it's just a, a great time in my life like that song. And even cooler is uh, I got to uh, get the NAM convention, which is the National Association of Musical Merchandisers a few years ago. I got to spend time with that ranger, and those guys are as cool as it gets. Uh, you know, most people, or not most, but some people, you know, can be a bit cynical um, for having a career that long and having to play their hits over and over again. And those guys have no pretensions about who they are, uh, enjoy each other, enjoy still playing the songs, and just put on a kick-ass show. And uh, and that's another reason why I like. Uh, so when I when I hear that song, I think about that time too. So anyway, so on to our sponsors here. Uh, I want to thank all the proud sponsors that keep Tricky Kid Radio going. Uh, and again, to kind of keep the lights on here. Uh, one thing I wanted to tell you, check out our website at trickykid.com. That's tricky-kid.com. There'll be much, much more pictures. I'm going to put up pictures of my Huffy Sigma bicycle and and a bunch of memories from my own collection. And, and it, with each episode, there's always more pictures to look at. There's different links that you can go to. And make it a much more interactive experience. While you're there, uh, check out OfficeFurnitureToGo.com. We have a link there. If you click on it, you know it's you know now that uh, you know that the summer is ending. Sadly, this being the very last day of summer, 2017. Uh, you know you might be wanting to do a new office, so check that out. You click click on the link, you buy something, they throw a couple bucks back our way, and. Uh, and we kind of can bring shows like this to you each and every single week. Uh, lots of great shows coming up. I'm excited to, 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 to uh, reveal to you uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. Lots of great musicians, a lot of great artists, uh, and just a lot of great fun uh, headed into the fall here. Uh, also, uh, check out, of course, if you haven't joined the Cricket Nation already, what are you waiting for? Uh, I was an AT&T customer for so long and got so tired of getting screwed by them and all their ridiculous fees and i was paying three times what i'm paying now uh by joining the cricket nation with cricket wireless uh it's my bill is the exact same thing each and every single month none of that hidden crap none of this added overage nothing and i get the exact same coverage so again if you went through what i went through with at&t uh trust me um and even funnier was the Cricket Wireless was right across the street, and it was the best decision I ever made. And I'm proud to uh, to uh, to support them and uh, and them supporting us. Uh, so also, I also wanted to tell you about some appearances coming up. So we mentioned about Bobby the Brain Heenan. You know, my uh, alter ego as being the pro wrestling commentator for IHWE Wrestling uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area is going to be returning uh, this fall. Our biggest event of the year is actually a, th a thing we, we do called Old School Hustle. And uh, it's easily my favorite event of the year that we do. Uh, it's something that's that's very, very, very special. And so we even are going to do it in a, in a much bigger venue. Uh, you know, we also do, um, uh, you know, a lot of things out uh, at the Crowley, you know, convention center there out in Crowley. Uh, ironically, where we moved to, in the summer of 1987, uh, so it kind of brings it full circle there. But uh, anyway, on November the 5th, we're going to be at the Ridgely Theater in Fort Worth. It's a great old school theater. Uh, if you guys were actually in town for WrestleMania in, in Dallas last year, you might remember the event, uh, the Parade of Champions that uh, that we put on, which featured the return of Shelton Benjamin and and um, 
and it was just a magical, magical night. So come out and check us out at November 5th at the Ridgely Theater there. Uh, go online to hwe.com. You can go and get your tickets now. Uh, it's going to be a great, great, great event. Uh, in the meantime, I've got uh, quite a, a few things coming up here. Speaking also of wrestling, we're going to be up on October the 7th, the weekend. We're going to be up in Oklahoma for Oklahomania. Me and my uh, announce partner, Tyler Foster, will be up there. Uh, so please definitely come say hi to us uh, when you see us up there. Uh, lots and lots of, of, of great things coming up. Uh, I'll be in Austin, Texas, October the 19th and the 20th, uh, doing my uh, DJ Tricky Kid uh, thing as well. Uh Trying to think of there's a few other things here that I'm, that I'm looking at, uh, but you all see all of this information will be available at trickykid.com. Uh, uh, so, okay, so moving right along here, uh, one thing that really shaped for me uh, this summer of 1987, especially in, in terms of music, uh, is anybody that knows me knows just how. Uh, my love for Motley Crue, man. And so uh, this is what, what I want you to picture here. Okay. So, again, WrestleMania 3, Sticker to My Success, uh, School, Let's Out. And this is what I want you to picture. I come from what, if you're listening internationally, you may not get this um, term, but I was what is was referred to as a, called a latchkey kid. And what that meant was I grew up in a generation where your parents work, and I was I had a single parent. so. I would ride the bus home, and uh, and at this time, uh, it was just you know, excuse me, it was just me, my mom, uh, and one of my older sister and my younger sister. So I had the place to myself uh, a lot, like for you know, for a few hours after I would come home, and then during the summertime, they were all at work, and my younger sister being, of course, at daycare, so I was alone all day. And back, and, and that's not a knock. I mean, this is what kids did. I mean, this isn't like I was abandoned or I'm not Kevin McAllister and was left behind. Um, ironically, also, it's another 1987 reference because Home Alone came out that year in 1987. Um, but no, it's just, just, you know, ask any kid, especially a kid that grew up, you know, poor or, you know, lower, lower middle class or whatever, is that's kind of what you did. You know, you kind of survived on... Totino's pizza and ramen noodles and and uh, and MTV and uh, but again this isn't uh, a cry for help this is this is the good stuff this is I mean those are my those are the memories I'm talking about that's the good stuff so uh, so instead of like so like one of my favorite memories is that obviously is from the night the summer of 1987 is just those long carefree days. Um, where again, like I said, I probably consumed more ramen noodles. Shout out to the Top Ramen Company for keeping me alive that summer. Um, and but loving it, you know what I mean? Like it was just such a a year, uh, such a summer of discovery. I had the time to do it. Um, you know, I had a great stereo system, and man, I loved Motley Crue. So here's what I, I want you to picture. I want you to picture. I had turned thirteen that. March. I've got my Huffy Sigma bicycle parked out, out right out front. Uh, I'm in this, we're in this long trailer. And I got my ramen cooking on the stove, uh, or maybe uh, some, or maybe uh, a Totino's pizza in the oven. 
And Motley Crue uh, had released their album, Girls, 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 uh, that uh, uh, around that same time. And uh, But right before the album came out, they came out with this VHS thing that's been long out of print called Motley Crue Uncensored. And this is such a, a an important important thing. I mean, there's if there's anything that you've heard that is more, that is crucial besides the trading cards that we're going to get to in a second, is that. And this is back when you were at the age where you could watch something that you loved literally over and over again. How many people out there have memories? Tweet at me at Tricky Kid the number two. Tell me something that you remember watching. Maybe not just even in '87, but that that one thing. And I'm not talking about Star Wars and all that. I'm talking about you know, there was that one movie or that one thing that you just, the minute that it ended, you would watch it over again. And I also was dreaming of being, again, a baseball player. Uh, so I would do this thing where I would be in the middle of the living room with a tennis ball, practicing my, I want to be a pitcher. That was my thing. I wanted to pitch for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I grew up worshiping Mike Schmidt and, uh, and Pete Rose and, and, and the Phillies in, in, in general. I'm still a massive Phillies fan. And so that, to me, in a nutshell, is 1987. Again, Huffy Bicycle out front, ramen on the stove, tennis ball in my hand, Motley Crue uh, uncensored on VHS. Again, long out of print. If you ever can get your hands on one. It, you know, spend the extra bucks to get it. It's only 30 minutes long, but it's the greatest thing in the world. It will make you a fan of not just the band, but just remember that life is good and in a much easier time when 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 music was was fun and not ashamed to be fun. I know I stuck an old man saying that, but man. Uh, and then throwing this tennis ball against uh, the uh, refrigerator. I had this, this system set up. I'm such a dork. Back then, refrigerators weren't two long doors that you pulled out. It was top and bottom, meaning the top was the freezer and the bottom. If you ever still stay at a, at a, at a roadside motel, you may see one of these. Um, so for me, that little divider between the freezer and the actual refrigerator, that was the strike zone. And I'm you know, beginning to grow my hair out and everything else. And uh, so anyway, so but something unbelievable happened. <clears throat> Again, the previous September, right when I started school here at the Northwood Junior High there out in Jacksonville after my family had moved, I had seen my first concert. Uh, unthinkable um, to see. I saw David Lee Roth's Eat Him and Smile tour. If you listen to last week's episode, you know, we had Noel Monk, the legendary manager from Van Halen. And I talk a little bit about this. That's why I didn't really include too much of it this time because I talked about it at length then. Um, but I saw my first concert, of course. You know, I worship Van Halen. Uh, but Motley has always just been mine. I've, it, Motley is a gang, and I'm a member of that gang. If you haven't already heard it, we, uh, last um, summer we did a four-episode thing uh, when Motley decided to call it quits, covering every single decade. If you are a Motley fan or you just like fun in general, I implore you to check out those episodes because uh, they're, they're done with a, uh, a lot of love. And, um, and I did them with uh, a, a good friend of mine who I'm going to talk about here in a second as well. Anyway, so if you can believe it, Motley Crue just 
you know, so there's the uncensored thing. And so they finally come out with their album, Girls, 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 and came to Little Rock, Arkansas on the 4th of July in 1987. And you can't imagine what a transformative thing is. I know people go to concerts and go, I saw that and I knew right then that's what I wanted to do with my life. Trust me. Uh, it's not a coincidence that I ended up working in rock and roll. Uh, and I have my my, my gang, uh, Motley, to thank for it. And it was such a crazy experience. Uh, you know, I, my older sister, Jamie, uh, who was like on her, like in just joyful moments and joyful times. This is back when, you know, you would have tickets for like six months before the concert. It wasn't like it is now where, you know, oh, the show's coming in three weeks. And I mean, so you appreciate it more because you've been waiting for so long, especially as a kid. And on the 4th of July, holy cow, uh, I, I was such an innocent kid. And then suddenly being in this this crazy environment, uh, I remember White Snake had opened. They had their, of course, massive album uh, that summer that you still hear that are staples on, on rock radio with Still of the Night and Here I Go Again, of course, and uh, Is This Love and all that. So it was just a great killer double bill. And I had, you know, Motley all over my, my walls, and but I had the Theater of Pain stuff. And so then I had this whole new look where there were these bikers, and suddenly it was, I had, you know, because this is back when you would go and, and get, you know, Hip Raider and, and Rip and all the great rock magazines. So I saw the mighty uh, Motley crew on the Girls, Girls, Girls tour uh, on the 4th of July right dead smack in the middle of the summer of 1987. And that shapes the whole thing right there. So Motley actually just uh, re-released uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary uh, of Girls, Girls, Girls uh, remastered. And I have it and it sounds amazing. It sounds so awesome. And I wanted to play you uh, from that. I wanted to, my, um, my favorite track from Motley Crue's Girls, Girls, Girls has got to be all in the name of rock and roll, which just sums up the record, the spirit, and uh, what a great time uh, that just kind of shapes the, the, the sound of that whole magical summer. So here is the, the re-released, recently uh, remastered version, which you should definitely go out. Go to Motley.com. And then right after, we're going to bring you Susan Lugerich uh, from the Tops Company. We're going to get into all the trading card stuff from 1987 set and Garbage Pell. Uh, and the whole bit.
Hi, this is Natalie Cox. I play Juno Eclipse in The Force Unleashed, and you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Tanner. Uh, from the Tots Company, Susan Lejudai. Uh Susan, did I pronounce that right? Yep, you got it. Oh, great. Well, hey, listen, welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. So, uh, Susan, will you tell our listeners uh, what your title is with the Tops Company? Yeah, I'm the marketing communications manager at Tops, which, uh, you know, pretty much my job entails, you know, doing interviews and, you know, handling stuff on our social media channels and also just, you know, collecting cards. It's not part of the job itself, but uh, I like to pretend that it is. Uh, right, right. Well, I guess it also it helps that, you know, you being also being a collector. Now, did you being a collector lead you to working at Tops, or did you become a collector after the fact? No, I've been a collector for a really long time, you know, pretty much since I was a kid. Um, the story how I got to Tops is a, it's a little bit of a long one, but it's kind of cool. What happened was, say about 10 years ago at this point, a friend and I had created uh, a blog about trading cards, and uh, we called it a cardboard problem. Because, you know, <laughs> exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of like, it's a little like a joke on like having, you know, an addiction problem, but, right, you know, we right. have a cardboard problem. And, you know, people liked it because the reality was it was two women writing about baseball cards, which doesn't happen quite often. So That's right. people That's right. came to it. Yeah, people came to it, enjoyed it. And from there, my background is actually a sports sports writer. I was a journalist for 15 years. So I had a writing background and, you know, I had the knowledge of trading cards. So somebody from Beckett had reached out to me and, you know, wanted to know if I could do freelance work for them. Sure enough, I did. I did that for about two, three years. And when a job opportunity came out at Beckett, I took it and I ended up being their uh, editor for their football, basketball, and hockey magazines. Wow. And then, wow. yeah. And I did that for a couple of years. And then, uh, you know, so a job at Tops opened and I said, hey, can I make baseball cards? And they were like, sure, why not? So, yeah, I mean, I mean, but how cool is that, though, Susan? I mean, you've, you've turned a passion into a career. I mean, that's, that's, that's the dream, right? Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people really get to can say they get to do that, but I'm definitely one of those people, and it's really cool because, like, everybody at Thompson knows it. So, like, whenever there's, like, you know, if anybody gets, like, a cool car or something cool happens or they see something, like, it's like I'm the first person to like, come on and say, did you see this? Did you see the card I got? Did you see this card this person pulled? Like, oh, you know, like, I'm, like, mine in a video. So it's really cool. That is very cool. Now, now, so Beckett's all card set at the time. What do you think it is about the 1987 set that I've learned later in hindsight as an adult that has endeared itself to so many? I think a lot of actually what you just said had a lot to do with it. You know, yeah, that wood green design, the wood border design was really cool, but so many people started collecting around that time period, so I think it's one of the, it's, it, like, nostalgia has a lot to do with it, so you started sure. collecting when you were a kid, and you remember that design, because it kind of stood out amongst some, some of the other designs within, you know, the couple of years back, you know, in front, of, in front or behind it, but it's really that nostalgia factor, like, at the time, everybody was like, okay, cool, cool cards, but then when you get older, you're like, hey, I remember that. Remember, you know, because it's like, what's cooler than sitting there opening a pack of cards and wondering, like, who's in your pack of cards? What card am I going to get? Is my favorite player in this pack of cards? Because, you know, when you're a kid, you go crazy. You get your favorite card, you go crazy. As an adult, 
I get my favorite player. I still don't crazy, but, you know, that's back to, like, when we were kids, you know, and I think that really has a lot to do with the 1987 set. So many, it was so many people's first set or so many people's even second set, but it just, it just resonated because nostalgia has a lot to do with it. Well, why, why do you think that the 87 set was a lot of people's first set? So do you think it was the time? Do you think it was because of that, that magical 86 season? What, what do you think it was? Well, you know, time period, baseball cards were just very sort of rampant and ingrained in our culture at that time. Um, also, if you look at this, in the 87 set was sort of like uh, paying homage to a set, you know, from top decades before it. So then you had, you know, fathers who had collected that original set and then sharing right. that with their kids. And now and the sort of same thing is happening now because, you know, like you said, it's the 30th anniversary of that set and like Tops didn't forget that and included those 1987 cards, you know, the design in this year's Tops product. So if you open up Series 1 and Series 2, you can find inserts on the 1987 design with modern day players. And that's really resonated with a lot of people as well. Well, so you know, you, uh, I'm so glad that you said that because that was my next question because I was going to say that, hey, Tops actually did something uh, to uh, recognize that this year and nothing against, like, you know, the 85. That makes sense. Yeah, if you because if you look at we did this thing a couple of years, I want to say two years ago, on like on our tops blog, and it was the question was like, what is your favorite set of all time? You know, we just asked a couple like maybe like eight to ten tops employees, what is your favorite set of all time? And it was within those years, like eighty seven, eighty six, or because that's how that's the age of the people who are creating these cards now. So the people who are creating the cards are roughly our. Okay, and I also wanted to uh, tell people now, now that first set period of any of, of any of any sport or of anything. What was the first cardboard problem that you had? <laughs> so the first set, like I remember collecting when I was young, was 1991 Fleer. It's uh, it's terribly ugly, and yet you know that was my set. It was the kind of thing where like you know I would. My mom would send us, you know, to the to the you know the corner store and go pick up some milk, or whatever. And with the change, right. I, I'm like, oh, throw, throw a pack of cards in there, you know. <laughs> right. So right. that was my set. Like that was the first cards I remember collecting. Like getting, and I'm a huge Yankees fan, so like a, a superior product. You know, Tops has been doing it for a very, very long time. They've been making baseball cards in sort of this fashion since 1952. And there's not any other company that can say the same thing. And, like, you're talking about a set coming out every single year since 1952. Like, there were no breaks. You know, they had the 1951 red and blue backs, and then in 52 was the sort of modern design where everybody remembers, you know, the Mickey Mantle card. And every year, you know, Topps is putting out a different set. So it's something, you know, they've been doing a very long time. And knowing how they even work now, it's not something they take for granted. They know that every year, like, the flagship set, when that comes out, it's, I mean, even baseball players, and you can look at MLB Network and places, it's the unofficial start to the baseball season. Right. Not spring tra- you know, not spring training, That's not right. opening day. The day that Topps Baseball, you know, comes out and you can go buy a new store, like that's the start of the baseball season. Amen. That's what I always say. That's what me and my friends <laughs> say. That's so awesome. She's like, that's what we always say. We say, oh, it's here. Baseball season has begun. Like, that's that's so cool. Uh, and, and you know what's so great is that do you, do you remember, actually, now, what years were you working at Beckett? I worked there. So I've been at Tops for three years. So – what are we in 2017? So I was at Beckett from about 20, 
2012 to 2014 or 2011 okay. to 2014. I okay. forget exactly. But do you remember when you started collecting around 91, you said, what year did you discover Beckett as a fan or a collector? Uh, you know, it's, I don't remember because I was probably around the same time. Like, I was, I've was, i always been a big reader, so I'd right. go to the bookstore a lot. So, you know, I'd always been, you know, peruse the magazine aisle as well, checking out what's there. So, you know, I'd, every once in a while, like, my parents would get me one of the Beckett's if I asked them to. So I remember, you know, reading. And I loved my favorite part of Beckett back in the day was always, like, the questions people would ask them. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, I had this card. Can you tell me more about it? And, like, you know, it's like a test issue or it's something different. And that was always fun. And then the other part I enjoyed was, you know, the question was, like, if you had $100, what cards would you buy? And like people would then have their list. Like if I had a hundred dollars, yeah, these yeah. are the cards I would get. You know, and it was it was <laughs> cool because it shows. And I and I, I say this to people all the time. It shows how personal collecting is. You know, because yeah. it, it like whatever you like, that's cool. And whatever I want to collect, you know, that's cool too. But what I collect and what you collect, probably not the same thing. And it just and it's it's that way for everybody. And that's okay because collecting is such a personal thing. That's right. That's right. And, and that's why people aren't casual about it, correct? I mean, when you love it, you love it forever. I mean, you could dismiss it easily by, oh, whenever I was a kid. and I had access to it all the time, but it was right. just something I really always and just, like, sort of enjoy checking out. Because even back then, like, you're like, oh, I have this card. How much is it worth? And, you know, right. you're flipping into the price guide area just to see, like, you know, how much your favorite player's cards are worth. But I was so oblivious to their value, though, because for me, I just enjoyed baseball. I enjoyed collecting. I would already collected comics for a while, and uh, and also, which I one of the, one of the questions I wanted to get to before we wrap up, of course, was about garbage pail kids that Topps also makes. Uh, so I had a I had a collecting nature, it, and I was literally oblivious to their value. Like I had not yet heard those stories about parents throwing out their like you said, their, their, you know, their fifty two Mickey Mantle and all that. Uh, and so when I first got my hands on one, I was like, oh, and next thing I know, I'm seeing, you know, some cards that I've got that are worth, you know, maybe as much as even at that time, like 10 bucks, but even, okay. but even if it was an, over a dollar, oh my God, it, that went into a very special pile. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Same. No, same here. Like, oh my goodness. Like this card is worth $2. Like better put it to the side. You know? Right, right, right. Exactly. And, and so I actually spent, uh, my listeners know this too. I spent the first 12 years of my life actually, uh, uh, in Arkansas. So we didn't actually didn't have, uh, a major league team. So I actually had to pick one. And I grew up a massive Philadelphia Phillies fan. I grew up in the 80s, of course. And so the first World Series I ever saw was, of course, the magical one from 1980 with, you know, where the Phillies won it all. And so for me, I grew up worshiping guys like, you know, like Mike Smith, obviously Pete Rose, Steve Carlton, Joe Morgan, you know, all those guys. And, uh, and then, of course, when, when we came to Texas, uh, you know, the Rangers, besides, of course, Dolan Ryan finishing his career here, didn't really catch fire until many years later. So I always kind of, kind of focused on, on you know the Phillies for you know they always will kind of be my team. And so I remember so much about like you said like uh, you know like whenever you would get one of your one of your players also not just a card that was worth two bucks but when one of your players from one of your teams would exceed that. I don't know of any other medium that offers that type of personal connection. Don't you agree? 
Oh, I definitely agree. And like one of it's funny, one of Tops's like you know slogans over the years has been you know bringing you closer to the game because it does. You know, you get to have this you know personal collection, and now even now cards include you know autograph cards or pieces of cards that contain you know a jersey or a bat or something. You know, something the player wore or used in a game. You know, you can obviously buy memorabilia, but those are hundreds of dollars. This gives you right. a much more affordable way to you know can be connected to the player, to your team. Right, for sure, for sure. So one last thing I kind of wanted to get into was that something else that completely shaped, that shaped that magical 87 summer was another Topps product, of course, which was the famous Garbage Pell Kids. Uh, and so popular that in 1987 there was an actual Garbage Pell Kids movie. Uh, what are your memories of the Garbage Pell Kids before you started working for Tops? Yeah, I remember getting those figures at the store. My parents, they didn't really pay much attention to it, so they didn't actually know, like, what the terribleness of, like, what's going on on these stickers were. But I'd get them, and I remember, like, just sticking them on the door, like, or in the walls inside of my closet, and uh, they were just there. They're not there anymore. I think my parents uh, finally, because my, my parents still live where I grew up, but uh, they finally got rid they finally took them off the walls. But that was my uh, garage falcon memory. <laughs> well, you know, Here's what's funny, okay? Even though, uh, you know, I'm a, you know, obviously uh, a male and, you know, boys that age tend to be a little, you know, a little irreverent, I was never that guy that was interested in, like, even though, I mean, I read Mad Magazine, um, I collected Garbage Pail Kids, but I, I, I really was never that what's grosser than gross kind of guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, remember that joke? And, like, I was never really into gross-out humor. I never thought of it as it being as something, anything but totally innocent. And I still feel that way. So it's, it's interesting to me that I would have even have been attracted to it because, I again, not into, you know, that type of thing. But, God, they were irresistible, were they not? Yeah, because I think what it is, it's, it wasn't just like they were gross. It was actually, they were witty. You know, they were very clever in, like, their jokes as well. Yeah. So even though, like, they were clever, you know, kids got it. Like, kids were able to actually, like, understand, like, these silly jokes. And it wasn't just, you know, some of them were gross, but there was more. there were more than just gross jokes in there as well. Well, so tell me, in closing, tell me a story from your perspective, not as a collector, but as a TOPS employee, that the relationship that you now have based upon interacting with not just the press like me, but also press that also might be fans like me or just fans in general, uh, that, that you've heard in your time so far at TOPS about Garbage Bell. Um, I'm trying to think about Garbage Pail Kids. The one thing I've noticed about Garbage Pail Kids is that people who loved it, you know, back in the 80s, they still love it now. And it's funny, our, our Garbage Pail Kids Facebook page has about 400,000 people who follow it because of that love for Garbage Pail Kids. You know, we put yeah. up, you know, like on a Throwback Thursday or Flashback Friday, we'll put up you know, something like a, a card from back in the day and it gets shared hundreds, if not thousands of times because people love those cards. You know, they get yeah. so much fun out of it. And it was actually kind of cool because last year on Halloween, there was a parent who dressed up like 
one of their like little kids as a GPK character, and <laughs> it was cute. And I remember posting it on the, like sharing it on the page because I, you know, I thought it was funny. And that just brought in so many people. They're like, "Oh, check out our costume! We did this too!" And like all these people were dressing up their kids like GPK characters for the for Halloween. It was really funny. It's it's amazing, and I just saw today or yesterday that you know there's a whole line of like garbage pail kid, Adam, you know, of course the famous Adam Bomb line of skateboards coming out. I mean, so it, you know there's clearly still a market, and if I don't know who my age is still skateboarding besides me, of course, but <laughs> but I just but you know what I mean? Like, like there's something about that that just resonated, and and in fact, didn't Garbage Pail Kids celebrate? having the very first ever Garbage Pell convention in Las Vegas. Wasn't it last year? Um, that top's not affiliated with that, so I, I'm I not see. sure. Okay, so, 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 so that, was a, that was an independent fan thing. Okay, I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't realize that. Okay. Uh, is there anything – does tops do anything like that? Do they, do they uh, sponsor or even uh, curate their own type of, of, of shows and conventions like – Kind of Comic Con, but it's a but it's a top uh, thing. Not currently, but it's definitely something that we've been talking about for quite some time. That would be amazing, and it would and it would probably would be in New York, right? And you guys are, you know, um, I don't know. I don't think it would commit to us being in New York. It just depends on, you know, where you know where the fans are. Uh, for sure. So okay. So one last question. Here we are. The season's almost over at the end of September. Uh, your Yankees are, are definitely in the wild card. Uh, who do you have in the American League besides the Yankees? Um, yeah, obviously the Indians. They're such a great team. They're playing extremely well. And I, quite frankly, I think that they're the team that's going to come out of it again in the American League to head to the World Series. Well, I, again, I, I'm not just representing uh, Texas here. But I really think uh, that if they can get past the Indians, uh, that you're probably going to be looking at a Houston World Series uh, against. And who do you have in the National League? That's a tough one because nobody is actually playing sort of like out of their minds. You know, like the Dodgers are playing amazingly well for a while and then they stumbled a bit. Um, I personally like would love to see the Diamondbacks go. <laughs> I don't think they're going to make it. Um, I would probably go with the Nationals. They might actually win a playoff game, maybe even oh, uh, more than one. <laughs> right, right. Because they, they, they do so well and they destroy all year. But, I mean, the competition is tough because you've got, you've got Washington Nationals and you have, you know, World champions, Chicago Cubs, and again, this might be one of the best Dodgers team in 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 the franchise's history. I mean, you know, we we tend to to romanticize things like the 1927 Yankees and think that that could never happen again. But statistically, like I said, this 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 Dodgers team is is outstanding. So uh, so it should be a very very exciting uh, postseason coming up. I know you'll be rooting for the Yankees. Uh, and, of course, I'm going to be rooting for Houston there for the American League pennant. So if uh, they head to the uh, ALCS, then uh, that means I'll have to meet you in Houston and uh, <laughs> and buy you a, buy you a hot dog for uh, for coming to uh, not only as a top representative, but as a lifelong fan and collector and also baseball fan. Uh, again, uh, and where, where can people can find you on the interwebs? 
Well, the one place, you know, always check out Tops on social media. We're at Tops across across the board. And, uh, you know, on Twitter, you can find me at Yangshik, Y-A-N-X-C-H-I-C-K. Fantastic. Susan, again, thank you so much for joining us uh, and for, for creating so many great memories for us throughout all these years. Oh, thank uh, you so much. I appreciate it. It is, I think that I, I'm not alone and our listeners will say it, that uh, you guys have made uh, not only our childhoods, but our lives just that much better. So, uh, so, so thank you guys. And you guys, uh, you know, you guys keep rocking for sure. Thanks again so much to Susan from Tops for joining us this week, sharing invaluable insight and amazing memories uh, and on her vacation, no less. So uh, very grateful to Susan. Let her know how much you enjoyed her on this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. Uh, and again, we thank her so much and uh, look forward to an amazing baseball season ahead. You know, it was so funny because also thinking about 1987, December of 87, that the phenomenon of Garbage Pail that Tops also put out, whatever, had reached such a level of popularity that many might remember that they actually had their own movie. Uh, and it, yeah, like an actual, not animated, an actual live action movie. In hindsight, maybe animated might have been a little bit better because, I mean, obviously these are animated creatures. But this is also the time where the Gremlins was a, was a big hit a few years prior. And and it, it definitely has, you know, strains of that in it for sure. But I wanted to play you uh, the trailer from uh, the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Uh, and then we're going to wrap up with a, with, a, with a few more things here. And he could call his home. Until now. What's that? They came out to help us. Meet the Garbage Pail Kid. Starring Nat Nerd. Windy Winston. Messy Tessie. Give him a chance, Tangerine. You'll like him. Ali Gator. Valerie Vomit. Lisa Gregg. Ah, I'm gonna get fired for this. Foul Phil. Nice to the topes. The Garbage Pail Kids movie. They may not be pretty, but boy, they make great friends. Starring Anthony Newley and Mackenzie Aston. The Garbage Pail Kids movie. Amazing, right? Okay, so <clears throat> the next thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap up here is <clears throat> the long-gone tradition of Saturday morning cartoons. And even though I was 12, also 13 in the summer, I was still very much, <laughs> heck, in fact, if they were still on on Saturday mornings, I probably still would. Back when it was an event, I really want you guys to to if you can recall your favorite memory of your favorite lineup. Thanks to Wikipedia and a few other different internet resources, I've been able to recreate uh, from that summer of '87. Obviously, during the summertime, obviously it's you know it's it's reruns, but uh, the uh, the fall and the spring, the lineup went something like this: starting at eight o'clock in the morning on ABC it was the Wuzzles, then the Care Bears. Then I would switch over to CBS for Muppet Babies or or Smurfs or uh, Flintstone Kids. It was kind of a whatever I was feeling like, kind of a wild card there. 
Uh, then, of course, there was Alvin and the Chipmunks, of course, the Bugs and Tw uh, Bunny and Tweety show, the one that even your parents would like. And easily my favorite cartoon that time, and in my top three, not only of the 80s, but ever, uh, was a show that was very short-lived called Galaxy High. Uh, look it up uh, on YouTube. It's fantastic. It's, it was kind of a take on what was going on at the time, this thing called the uh, the Foreign Exchange Student Program. But he was, uh, but the, it was like this local kind of star jock was exchanging uh, places, trading places with a uh, person on another planet. It was called Galaxy High, and it had a great kind of, you know, uh, what do you call it, like public service announcements and all the, the episodes were kind of, you know, kind of, you know, kind of like lessons learned type kind of thing. Anyway, it was my favorite. And then followed by CBS Storybrick. You guys remember this? Where they would turn your favorite book? Like, wouldn't it be so great if like Encyclopedia Brown had its own cartoon or How to Eat Fried Worms was a, was an animated form? And they would do that. And it was hosted by Captain Kangaroo. Uh, and then, of course, who could forget Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling? Just to tell you also how popular wrestling was around that time. They had their own Saturday morning cartoon. God, I love that. And they started showing that now on the WWE Network. If you're a subscriber, um, you actually can check that out again now. This also was around the time a member of Laser Tag was a big deal, which is now coming out and so big that they even had their own Saturday morning cartoon with Laser Tag Academy. If anybody remembers Galaxy High and Laser Tag Academy, I, I definitely want to hear from you. And then I remember then it was now the noon hour and it was about American Bandstand and, and you know less cartoons. But God, what a magical time, man. What a just what a what just a, a great time to be a young person uh, and just a great time just in general. And so that pretty much sets the scene for me. Uh, again, the Huffy Sigma parked outside, Motley on the stereo, uh, baseball cards laid out on the floor. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, obviously watching Saturday morning cartoons, uh, obviously <clears throat> it was always capped with an hour of wrestling, which was at uh, that time the WWF, of course, uh, superstars and things of, of, of that nature. So anyway, so something then that was very, very influential and transformative, of course, was that towards the end uh, of the summer, with only a few weeks left, of 1987, we moved from Jacksonville, Arkansas to the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, in Texas. So once again, I was going to be starting at a new school, a new junior high, or in this case, a middle school, <clears throat> without all the friends I had made, starting all over again. And I remember something very, very significant had happened. <clears throat> That within the first couple of days that we had, whenever we first moved here, <clears throat> that one, one memory that I have when we first moved here, it was within the first couple of, uh, of days, was that uh, Michael Jackson had finally released his follow-up to, of course, the, the greatest selling record of all time, Thriller. He'd come out with uh, with Bad, and I remember that being just this 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 bomb drop. Uh, among pop culture, and obviously me being a huge Michael Jackson fan then and now and always and forever, uh, that getting new music from Michael Jackson after like four, almost five long years was just such a, a huge, huge deal. 
Uh, and then I remember that I learned how to make French toast <laughs> uh, that same day as, as part of that summer. Because what we did was when we came down uh, was that we were first staying with uh, some relatives before our house was ready. So I also had some new people to get along with and everything else. And uh, But they taught me how to make French toast and uh, had new music uh, from Michael Jackson uh, to end the summer there. Uh, to prepare for what was, uh, you know, for my new school and my new house and my and everything else. And something very, very uh, unforgettable, of course, but lifelong and uh, forever happened that first week at school. And this is a story that, that I share on the Motley Crue uh, podcast that I employ you, but I wanted just to, to add a little bit of it here. So, uh, to end this summer of 1987, because again, uh, you know, released on August 31st. That's literally the, the final day of summer, if you think about it. Because back in the day, uh, it was supposed to be the school year. You never went to school in June or August. That's not like it is now. You were out, like, basically Memorial Day to Labor Day. So June, July, and August. So released on the very final day of summer 1987 is this gift um, of Michael Jackson's Bad. Uh, and I wanted to play you my favorite song uh, from, from that record, which is The Way That You Make Me Feel. This is how I ended the summer of 1987. <laughs>
so again, so that's how uh, the summer of 1987 ended for me. Uh, but what a great beginning. Uh, what a great record and everything else. Like I said, this was this whole new beginning. And that's the theme to this was that uh, now I was in Texas. Uh, and the very, very first week, something, again, uh, life-changing happened. Whereas, you know, you have that meet the teacher night. I, said, I talked about this on the Motley episode last uh, summer. But uh, the very first week of school where I was in a new state and yet another new junior high. Uh, that week at Meet the Teacher, me and only one other kid had, had come to class uh, that night uh, with a parent. And, uh, and it was my man, Chris Todd, who actually uh, has a birthday in a couple of days. So I want to give him a, uh, an early happy birthday shout out there. And uh, what had happened was, again, and I, I said this on the other Motley episode, was that I was still wearing my, I was wearing my Motley Crue shirt front that I got from the 4th of July concert uh, that summer of 87. My, uh, my bad boys uh, rock and roll uh, Motley shirt. And to acknowledge that, uh, he had, he was in the fan club. And he figured out, and he also had a Motley Crue wallet purposely had like dropped between the aisle of the desk so I would see it. Uh, and I looked at it and I pointed to my shirt and needless to say, uh, a lifelong friendship uh, was born. And uh, here we are 30 years later uh, and still great friends. So, uh, so whereas, you know, I nostalgic and, if you, you know, the, you know, 1987 uh, had ended uh, something obviously uh, amazing uh, began uh, in its place. So uh, I wanted to quote something here um, that is actually from the, the Motley Crue uh, that we're talking about at the uncensored video. Is that There's a letter at the end uh, that splashes on the screen. And basically it says to the extent of uh, this is uh, for the young and for the young at heart. And that's what this episode is about. Uh, this for anybody from you know male or female you know yellow black white pink uh, tall sh short skinny poor rich whatever uh, this is for the young and for the young at heart and if you grew up in 1987 as a young person and you remember some memories similar to what I've shared and you have your own memories I would love to hear them if you remember riding your bike around and collecting cards and, and uh, listening you know watching Charlie Morning cartoons and and whatever your soundtrack was or whatever films that you remember, uh, this episode is dedicated to you. And again, to the 30th anniversary of that just magical, unforgettable summer. Uh, again, I want to thank Susan from Tops uh, for joining us uh, and all of you out there for listening. Uh, and until next time, uh, I hope everybody had an amazing summer. Uh, here as we celebrate the final day of summer of 2017. And I hope something, uh, even though it's the final day, I hope something wonderful has began uh, for all of you. Uh, until next time, I'm your host, Roy Turner, and uh, we'll see you next week.